Well, thanks for listening to A Podcast. I'm Allison Morrow, and we are on the road today for the first time in the middle of an estuary on the Snohomish River at Otter Island, which is a very, very special and rare kind of place for Puget Sound because it is virtually been untouched by development and is pristine salmon habitat. I wanted to take the podcast here because we talk about the southern resident killer whales on this podcast, J-Pod, K-Pod, and L-Pod, and their struggle for survival. There are now 76 of them with the birth recently of two new calves, but they are on the brink of extinction, and one of the biggest challenges they're facing is a lack of food. They only eat fish, unlike other orcas. They don't eat marine mammals like seals and sea lions or sharks. They're fish eaters, and they really like Chinook salmon, but Chinook salmon are also having a tough time. They've lost a lot of habitat or dealing with other issues like chemicals in the water. And uh, so recovering salmon is really the story also of recovering these whales. And uh, a lot of the projects are focusing on salmon habitat. So I am with Mike Rusté of Snohomish County, who is a fish habitat specialist. And he is going to tell us first why it sounds so pretty out here. Maybe I should just let everybody listen. See, do we have any planes flying over right now? No. Take a listen to just how quiet it is first and the birds. It's just so peaceful. So hard to find a place like this out here. So if you haven't fallen asleep yet, Mike, what is Otter Island? And and why does it still sound like such a peaceful place in the raucous that is Western Washington. Absolutely. We are right in the heart of the Snohomish Estuary on Otter Island. This is a site that for hundreds of years has not been touched in a large way by humans. We have mature spruce trees. We have lots of native shrubs, uh, emergent vegetation, and tidal channels that wind all the way through this 150-acre island. It's a perfect spot. to to do a podcast. It's also a perfect spot for Chinook to hang out and get big and fat before they go out into the ocean. This is an orca food factory. And so far we don't know if Chinook have a podcast so we have to be the voice for them which is what we're doing right now and maybe someday they will have the technology to have a fish cast. I don't know. When we talk about orca food factory uh, what does a salmon need that this site exemplifies? Salmon need to to grow they need to eat Uh, when they come out of their nests early in the spring they're they're tiny they can barely swim against the current when they work their way downstream to our estuary they need spots where they can get out of that current where they can find little nooks and crannies where they can eat they can hide from predators and they can grow the bigger they get the bigger better chance there is that they'll survive out in the big ocean and what has been the problem over say the last century or so when salmon are looking for those spots We've oversimplified our river systems greatly. We've diked uh, our floodplains, we've drained them, and we've really reduced the amount of habitat that these fish have to grow and to get fat before they go out to the ocean. And how does that make it difficult for them to survive? They get blown out of the system. It doesn't take a very large flow when the when the floodplains are restricted for the river to really act like a fire hose and sort of squirt those fish out in the Puget Sound before they're ready. Can you just tell us briefly like what a healthy run would be like versus what the Chinook salmon runs have become? Sure, just speaking about outmigrants. On a really good year, we might get a million outmigrants coming out of the system. That's a fraction of what we would have seen historically. Our salmon recovery plan sets a target of about 
seven million fish. So we've got a long way to go before we reach that target. So when you're trying to restore an estuary to look like the estuary we're looking at right now here on Otter Island, what do you have to do? Well, first you have to return the process. The tides are really good at making salmon habitat. So when we remove levees, we reintroduce the tides and we let the process do the rest of the work for us. You'll see that the projects that we've done so far don't look like it looks in Otter Island. It's gonna take a lot of time for this really complex habitat to form. Chinook need that habitat now, so we're reintroducing it and they're using the new habitat we make. But it's not ideal, it's not the perfect habitat, it will take time for that to form. How long? Some of the trees in Otter Island are more than 100 years old, so it takes a very long time for this really complex forest structure to form. But you can get lots of benefit out of lesser habitat. We can get uh, emergent vegetation which still provides some hiding spots and provides some food for salmon. Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of us in the outside fish world, things move so fast. We don't really even comprehend how slow going some of these projects are, but we are kind of running out of time if we want to save these whales. Where's, I guess, the focus need to go and, and what do people listening need to know about the, 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 the speed of all of this and what you all are working towards to quicken it up? Right. The, the more acreage we can get quickly, the better off we're going to be. If we can create more space for salmon, it doesn't have to be the highest quality habitat at this point. We need to make space for salmon. We need to get those nurseries going so that they can eat and get fat before they go out in the ocean. More is better now. Uh, we can we can wait a little while for the, the, the quality to form, but um, we need to get started. But there is a reason that restoration efforts do not move that quickly, and there are a lot of challenges to these projects. Gretchen Glaub is the Salmon Recovery Coordinator for Snohomish County, and you have seen how this process works, so the rest of us might pull our hair out looking at your job. Why does it take so long to work on these salmon recovery projects? These projects are really complex. They can be expensive, so we have to piece together different funding sources from federal, state, local governments. Another thing that makes it really complicated is in our floodplains, in our estuary, there's a number of different folks who own the land. We have some of the land is in public ownership, but some of it is private. And in order to restore habitat, we have to work with the public and the private property owners to figure out how we can keep like the ag community whole and working while we are restoring salmon habitat. I have heard some estimate 100 years to get to all of these projects. Obviously, I think most people would agree that the southern resident killer whales may not have 100 years. So how do you speed it up? Well, you know, in 2005 is when we uh, developed our salmon recovery plan. At that time, we estimated we needed $15 million a year to do, um, to put into place our restoration projects. Thus far, we've probably gotten maybe 15% of that each year. So each year, as we don't fund the projects, as we aren't able to move projects along, we're just kicking the can down the road and we're stretching out our timeline to actually get the restoration work done. In 2005, we thought we could achieve our goals in 50 years. Now we've pushed that back. I don't know, maybe we need another 100 years too.
Yeah, let's talk about agriculture real fast because there's often, you know, people talk about farm people and fish people and there's, it can be tough. I mean, it can be a contentious issue when you get everybody together talking about that because a lot of us, the majority of us are not really being asked to change our lives drastically to help salmon. But farmers are a group that really are having to, even if they weren't part of creating the problem, now they're having to be part of the solution so how do you move forward uh when we know we need to feed people and everybody wants local food but you know you're got the salmon habitat issue what's the solution there yeah i think absolutely we recognize that agriculture too can be seen as an endangered species as well and i don't think we're going to move forward unless we figure out a way to work with the fish community and the farm communities together. So here in Snohomish County, we developed something called the Sustainable Land Strategy, and that's really a table where agricultural interests, fish interests, and flood hazard reduction interests come together and look at our system and say, how can we move forward together so that ultimately we all can survive? We're pumping money into hatchery production, so we were increasing the number of hatchery fish that are entering the water system, but you have said that if you don't fix the habitat, then you produce more fish and they just have nowhere to go. So how are those two related? Yeah, I think sometimes we're always looking for a silver bullet that's going to solve our problem. But the reality is, is that our wild fish and our hatchery fish, even if we increase the hatchery numbers, all of those fish still need habitat in order for them to grow um, strong before they reach Puget Sound and then the ocean. And I guess the same could be true for a lot of the other issues that people point at, like predators, seals and sea lions, for instance. You uh, reduce them, you know, which is obviously a controversial topic right now, but you increase more fish, maybe, who knows. But still, if you don't have the habitat, you come back to the same problem. It just seems like looking at all of the different uh, challenges that I cover on a regular basis, that even if you dealt with those challenges, that bottom line if there's no habitat to support more fish you just you end up losing absolutely i totally agree we need our habitat but there are always the critics who say you restore habitat like the water system and you still have issues with chemicals and problems that are not related to removing dikes and so have you wasted your money what do you think about that I'm Kathleen Pozerecki. I work for Snohomish County. And uh, one of the projects that we're looking at right now is uh, prioritizing uh, creosote pilings in the Snohomish estuary. So right now there's about 10,000 pilings. Some of them are wood, some of them are creosote. But creosote is a mix of 300 different chemicals that the wood is soaked into and it creates a toxic brew that is really harmful to herring eggs and those herring are eaten by salmon and those salmon are eaten by orca so it adds to the the toxic load of the southern resident killer whale so we want to prioritize those for removal and and remove that as one of the um, impacts to salmon and orcas so eventually the hope right is that the fish leave the estuary and then they make it out into Puget Sound, but then you got other issues to deal with. It just feels like it's never ends, the Olympics for salmon. It's amazing that any survive, really. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, once fish leave the estuary, uh, the nearshore habitat is really important. And what's happened in Puget Sound is about 30% of our shoreline is 
um, covered with a thing called bulkheads or rock piles or wood walls and that wall cuts off the habitat for the juvenile Chinook as they try to reach the ocean. And so we're working on projects to try to restore that nearshore habitat, try to restore some of the pocket estuaries. So also Puget Sound has lost over 90% of the pocket estuaries and they're their little places like where we are right now in Otter Island where the fish can get out of the current, they can take a break, they can, you know, get fatter, eat lots of food and then carry on on their journey. So we're working at ways to restore those types of areas. One of the challenges in doing all this is uh, like Gretchen mentioned, you know, there's public land, there's private land. We have uh, Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railroad Corridor going along most of the shoreline of Snohomish County. And so um, that presents some really unique challenges. Uh, one of the projects we're working on right now is at Meadowdale Beach Park, where we're looking at putting in a five span railroad bridge and restore a two-acre pocket estuary to do exactly like uh, the kinds of projects I'm talking about right now. And we just got a big funding grant from the Federal Rail Association. Oftentimes, the way that these stories, you hear them, it's like, seems so adversarial, but it sounds like partnerships are becoming more and more common with industry, environmental groups, public-private government what I mean does it does am I just making that up I don't know does it feel like your people are starting to get more interested in working on these projects I, I think that's true um, for this project we have developed a partnership with BNSF where we're working on a negotiation right now where um, it looks like they'll actually build the bridge for us, which would save them money. So they would construct it. They know when the sounder comes through, they're able to time the building of the bridge better if we can find the funding for it. So those kinds of partnerships are the kinds of things that we're trying to work on so that we can save money and so that we can be more proactive in solving these kinds of problems. But then you still deal with things like chemicals and fire retardant has been a real problem. Uh, Todd Zaki, you are with the Tulalip tribes and this is something you all have your eyes on, right? Uh, correct. Uh, we've been doing research with the Department of Fish and Wildlife um, and we found that in one area of the estuary um, there's really high levels of fire retardant in the fish which basically causes them to be less healthy um, and more likely to die from you know, disease or more susceptible. 75% um, of the fish were that, and then 25% was high enough levels that it would probably eventually lead to mortality. So that's one one concern, chemical, um, you know, throughout this, the, uh, the Puget Sound, um, there's other chemicals that are of, high, of concern. Um, you know, one of the big things is water wastewater treatment plants are designed to deal with uh, biological, um, you know, components more than they are with chemical. So all the stuff that you eat, the medication that you take, the coffee you drink, passes through your body, goes to the treatment plants, and then comes out in the water uh, when it's uh, released from the treatment plants. So it's it's a complicated thing. Um, you know, we've really only started talking about it, um, but it's something that needs to be addressed because, uh, uh, you know, it affects the fish. The fish are swimming in it and are being exposed to it constantly. So the Tulalip tribes have been doing a lot of monitoring of these fish, which is what we were out here doing today, taking uh, a look at what is returning here as you're doing restoration projects, what kinds of fish, what size they are, just to look at trends over time. Why is that data important? 
Uh, it's really important. I mean, one of the, the big concepts with uh, restoration is adaptive management, and the key component of adaptive management is monitoring. You have to have information to inform you about the decisions you make. If you don't gather the information, you're not going to be able to make very good decisions. So there's a lot of money invested in these restoration projects. Um, there's a lot, you know, on the table with 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 trying to get these things working and working uh, and lots of fish coming back. So you have to study them to see how are the fish using them. You know, how are they changing? Is vegetation growing back? How long does it take? Is there enough sediment? All these different things need to be you know observed, and then you take that information and analyze it, and then you basically provide information back to the restoration community saying, hey. This is a better, you know, we found this, you should maybe do it this way, maybe you should tweak it this way. So that's one component of that monitoring. The other one is how are the fish doing? Are they, you know, are they using the habitat? Are they big? Are they small? How many are there? So we get densities as well. But, uh, you know, the big thing with the, the, the restoration monitoring that we can do is um, look at basically diversity between different sort of, uh, we call it restoration trajectories. So over time, a site eventually hopes to turn into Otter Island, but before that it turns into these other places that were breached 50 or 20 years ago. So you basically can go between these different places and look at the, the plant community, the bird community, the fish community, and then come up with like what you expect, how you expect new restoration sites to evolve over time. And, and, and you can sort of test that with that, looking at your diversity of your, of your species there. Could you talk a little bit about how salmon are important to the culture and the history of the tribes of the Northwest and why this restoration effort is not necessarily just a biological one, but an, an ecological one, but a, a spiritual one in a lot of, and a cultural one for many of the tribes in the Northwest. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not a tribal member myself, so I can only sort of speak from my perspective, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the tribes around here, um, you know, moved here, evolved and adapted to the environment here. And one of the key food sources was salmon. You have, I mean, historically huge numbers of fish coming back here. I mean, just going out in the river, you set up a weir and you have your food for the, I mean, for the winter or throughout the winter as these different returns, no shortage of food. You have a lot of food. You have the ability to do, you know, basically you're, you're, you have more time because you're not busy looking for food to do, uh, arts and, uh, you know, ceremonies and stuff and so you you have a very rich culture here um you know that evolved around this ability to do that and that get that's you know in a sense it's, it, i mean it's a gift you know the tribe see it as a gift from the salmon that they are able to exist here so it, it's sort of integral to you know the salmon and the culture are, are one and the same there's not it's really hard to pull apart and it's not necessarily easy for me to convey but it's basically what allowed the tribes to exist and you know it gave them the ability to live a life here to grow and to you know flourish in this in this place it's like you're taking out the sort of the root the the, the you know the, the center of you know who you are i mean it's, it's basically taking a part of 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 who the tribes are away i mean you know it's sort of like how can you not exist with, without it it's your identity it's you know where you come from well, it can kind of seem depressing when you talk about salmon recovery and whale recovery because it feels like we've got a lot to do and not a whole lot of time to do it. So, uh, Mike Rusty, back to you. Why do we even bother and where is the hope? Should we be hopeful or do we just jump off this boat right now and <laughs> swim into oblivion and live out in the wild and just try to forget about all these problems? We're dealing with really complicated problems here, but when I come to a place like Otter Island, it reminds me that nature is resilient. 
if we can give nature a little space, we can expand our floodplains, give rivers a little room to do what they do best, which is carve new channels, make new habitat. We have a chance to turn things around here. As I sit in the middle of Otter Island, I realize that a hundred years from now, people aren't going to be asking these same questions if we're successful. They're going to just appreciate that we have this open space in the middle of what is now the greater Seattle metropolitan area that they can come and enjoy nature. I hope to see lots of salmon swimming beneath me when I'm out here. Uh, I hope that we can be successful. I'm positive and if we work together, we could probably make this happen.